Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire to our great good, but to your greater glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, friends, brothers, and sisters in Jesus. What a week. What a week we have just been through. Wednesday, January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, a day when we celebrate the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ to the Gentiles. I'm sure all of you have spent many hours with your in front of the television watching the news. Um, and on Wednesday, of course, we watched a demonstration and protest at the United States Capitol building turned violent. I interrupted my television um, watching to attend a meeting at St. John's Church on the budget. We were getting together to around 3.30 that afternoon to, uh, to plan for the, the coming year, um, uh, trying to make the budget come out even, trying to balance it. As I'm watching, as meeting with people on, a on our computer Zoom screen, I also saw um, on my cell phone that they had declared that uh, the Georgia elections had been won by not just one Democrat, but by two, changing the balance of power in the United States Senate. As if that weren't enough to have on one's plate and deal with, Ellendale and I have been uh, struggling with the loss of a dear friend, uh, Dr. Ron Casey, who has been a mentor and colleague of ours for 30 years and who died relatively quickly and unexpectedly on New Year's Day. Ron was a counsel to the clergy of the Diocese of Connecticut and he was my, I call him my spiritual director as well as my therapist and friend. In the middle of that, Allendale is preparing uh, to be on a panel on Thursday night <laughs> on behalf of um, uh, the clergy of the diocese to speak about evangelism and church growth in the midst of a COVID pandemic. And of course, all of this comes after a year unlike any that any of us have known before. And then God breaks through, tears open the heavens, and speaks, and says to us, you are my children, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. 
What do you mean? Did you hear God say that? Well, I read it somewhere. It was a time, Mark tells us, it was a time when John the baptizer appears proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The baptism of Jesus is the day and event we celebrate today. I remember when I first started to do theology, how long ago was that, 1965? And one of the first papers that I had to write in my first year of seminary was a paper based on a question that I asked myself, why did Jesus get baptized? What was that all about? I didn't realize at the time that baptism was actually one of the first celebrations, the baptism of Jesus was one of the first celebrations of the Christian church. In the Eastern church up until the fourth century, there was no story about the Magi coming with their gifts to recognize Jesus as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The manifestation or revelation or theophany of who Jesus was as both fully human and fully divine, the epiphany, if you will, has historically been seen in the Eastern Church by his baptism, by the events of his baptism. In fact, it assumed a place in the worship of the early church, equal to Easter and Pentecost. So this morning, I'm going to take a look with you about the baptism of Jesus as told by the Gospel of Mark, as told by Mark in his Gospel. I'm going to take this look with you and reflect upon it and see what its meaning is for us in our present time. Mark, you know, I like to think of Mark as the, the gospel that's just about the facts. Mark tells us all of the events that happened in Jesus's life. Sometimes he doesn't elaborate on them very much. He just, he just gets them out there. He just wants everybody to know. And he starts his gospel by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So if you want to know what the gospel of Mark is all about, that, that's where it is. He's telling us, he's telling the world that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is good news. This is great news. And he begins his gospel with the baptism of Jesus by John in the River Jordan. Now, baptism was not a, a exclusively Christian thing. In fact, in Judaism, baptism was practiced 
as a way of receiving Gentiles into the Jewish community. It was believed and thought that that Gentiles needed ritual cleansing from all of the sins of the world, which they had picked up, uh, which had stuck to them before they became Jewish. And so baptism was a ritual cleansing for, um, for non-Jews in order to become Jews. But John, Jesus's cousin, was called and commissioned by God with a prophetic message. And his prophetic message was that all of Israel needed to repent and be baptized. All of Israel needed to be cleansed and forgiven. All of Israel needed to be part of this new thing that God was doing. Because John went on to explain that he was baptizing with water for the forgiveness of sins. But there was one coming, maybe even standing among us now, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And one of the other gospels says, and with fire, the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit. So John is preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. And Lord knows we all need that. They needed it in, in John's time, and we certainly need it in our time. So why in the world did Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Holy One, need to go into those waters and be baptized. Well, there are lots of reasons why you could speculate and think about this. Um, one of the reasons was to begin his mission and ministry of salvation to all people. Jesus began his ministry after his baptism in the Jordan River as an adult. Something happened. And Mark wants us to know what it is. So Mark tells us that something happened to Jesus in his baptism. That as he goes into the water, the heavens are torn apart. Mark uses that phrase only twice in his gospel, the Greek words for that phrase. And the only other time he uses it is when the veil of the temple is torn apart as Jesus dies on the cross. In this case, the heavens open and the spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Now we have a bunch of ornithologists set on St. John's and this is for you. Um, 
you know, the dove is part of the pigeon family. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't know the Latin name for the, but those scientists among you do. Um, the, the doves that I love are the morning doves. I find those to be some of the most wonderful, gentle, beautiful creatures um, that come to my bird feeder. They don't go to the bird feeder, you know. They go on the ground and they pick up the crumbs. They pick up what's left. I always throw a few extra seeds on the ground so the doves will come and, and, and peck on the ground. But they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful birds in their morning coats and, um, and their soft voices. Um, when I was rector of the, the church in Old Saybrook, we had a, the, the church offices were in the old rectory and there was a little um, um, entrance. And every, every spring we had a pair of doves, morning doves, who would make their nest in the, in the supports of this little entrance, this little roof over the uh, coming into the, into the church. And I'm told that the doves mate for life. And these, these two doves that we had were very prolific. They would have their first set of eggs and raise their, their, their young. And then we'd have a whole family of doves and then they'd take off and then they'd, they'd have another nest. I guess they were good for, for two families a year. <laughs> but the, the picture of a dove is a sign of peace. It's a sign of wellness, a sign of tranquility and loyalty and faithfulness. And that's certainly a, a wonderful symbol for the Holy Spirit, a wonderful manifestation or epiphany or revelation to us of who God, the Holy Spirit, is and what he does. What, what Holy Spirit does. And as this event happened, the heavens torn apart and, and according to Mark, God speaks directly to Jesus. Some of the other gospels, he, it's more like a proclamation. Matthew, for example, he, he doesn't speak to Jesus, he speaks to the crowd. But for Mark, it's an intimate revelation. And he says, the Lord God, Heavenly Father, says to Jesus, you are my son. The beloved, or in some translations, my beloved, with you, I am well pleased. How wonderful it is when a child hears a parent say those words to them. How wonderful it is when that child is the son of God and, the, and God the Father is speaking those words to him. So Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. Now I've heard different interpretations of that and different exegesis. The way I understand it is this. This isn't entirely new for Jesus. <laughs> we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
we believe that the Holy Spirit was in and part of Jesus all his life. We believe the Holy Spirit may in fact be the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father. Jesus said the Father and I are one. We believe that the Holy Spirit is part and parcel of what Jesus is all about. So what happened? Why did Jesus wait to receive this, this kind of blessing or manifestation? Did he know that he was not yet ready to begin his ministry? If you think about it, Jesus did no supernatural acts before his baptism. So I do agree with that, that one of the reasons that Jesus was baptized was to begin his mission and ministry of salvation to all people. A second reason may have been he wanted to show support for his cousin, John. They, were, they had um, grown up together, presumably, uh, maybe they lost touch with each other in, in, as they became adults, but um, um, Elizabeth, John's mother, um, felt her child, John, move and quicken in her womb when she came in the presence of Mary when she was pregnant, according to the scriptures. Jesus has said, that there was no greater prophet in all of Israel than John the Baptist. Of course, then he, ends, and he adds that wonderful teaser at the end, and he says, but even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. So I think the third reason, which really compels me about why Jesus was baptized, is to identify with us, to identify with our humanity and our lostness, our brokenness, yes, and even our sin, that the Son of God who was in every way tempted as we are yet did not sin, was willing to take upon us, upon himself, take upon himself our sin and identify with it. So we see in the baptism of Jesus, the beginning of the cross. We see in the baptism of Jesus, the beginning of redemption and salvation for the sins of the world. And finally, I think Jesus went into those waters to get baptized to show us how to do it. <laughs> Uh, as an example for us to follow, um, because we all need repentance and forgiveness. We all need to know that God loves us, that we are God's beloved children by adoption through grace. So what is this thing about the Holy Spirit? 
you know, um, some, uh, Christians disagree about some of these things, some, um, and I'm, I'd be the first to say it, but I, I can just tell you what my experience has been. I came to know the Lord um, young, uh, not in the fullness of the way I did later on. I came to believe in Jesus when I was eight years old and asked to be baptized. Um, I do think there's a strong case for the baptism of infants, because one of the things that I realize is that in our baptism, it's not just us making a decision, it's God acting first, that God's grace, and I call it prevenient grace or grace that goes before faith, that God always is out there leading us back to reconciliation with him. He is always holding his hand out to us. He loves us before we were born. He loves us all, even those who have fallen away from him, even those times when we push him away. We belong to him. So Jesus comes and the Father, the heavens open, the Father smiles on him and he says, you are my son, my beloved and with you I am well pleased. Jesus, who walked by the Holy Spirit, who lived with the Holy Spirit, whose own spirit was synonymous with the Holy Spirit, receives something more. Well, that's not quite right, because I don't think that we get more of the Holy Spirit as time goes on. I think what happens once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the fullness of God's mercy, forgiveness, and love, and we receive the Holy Spirit. But I think what happens is the Holy Spirit gets more of us. And as he gets more of us, there's less and less of the old self and more and more of the new creation that is made known to us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Someone before this um, sermon this morning said, you know, I don't, I, I, I really don't understand about the Holy, about, the, about baptism. And this is a very committed, mature Christian who said, who said this. And I said, I, th I thought my reaction was, you're right. I don't understand about baptism either. I don't get it. How did, how did God, why did God, why should God love us with such an everlasting love that transcends anything that we can do to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? As I was reflecting this week on, and on my feelings this week, what was happening in, in me and, 
and and this whole year that what what a year it has been hasn't it and as i was trying to get in touch with what this was like i said i remember another time for some of you it would be before you were born but i remember the year 1968 which for me me was a horrendous year as well in the words of Charles Dickens, it's a, um, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. 1968, this country was in the midst of great conflict and social change. Um, the civil rights movement had um, reached a peak the war in Vietnam was raging and a whole new generation of people were disenchanted with the actions of our government. Um, in April that year, if you remember, Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis. In June, in the middle of a, a tumultuous presidential campaign, Robert Kennedy was, was shot and killed in California. The Tet Offensive took place later on that year. Um, there was a contentious election of president in which Hubert Humphrey um, was defeated by Richard Nixon. And all that was going on and I need to share with you that I had a son born to me. Unto me a son was born and unto me a child was given. My firstborn son whose name was Peter was born in, in March um, of that year when I was down at a, a meeting in the in a national church in, in uh, in New York and I wasn't there for the birth. I didn't even get home until the evening of, of Peter's birth. But Peter was a wonderful little guy. He was our second child in my first marriage. And um, I remember just being, things were going well. I was in my senior year of seminary, about to be ordained a deacon in June and the I was conducting a, a seminar at the, uh, at the um, seminary on, um, on issues about war and peace. When um, my first wife informed me that having taken our son to get his checkup, his first checkup, that um, he was jaundiced and needed to go into the hospital. But to make the long story short, my son was diagnosed with a disease called biliary atresia, which means he had no bile ducts in his development. And the result of that means that the liver becomes cirrhotic and eventually dies. Um, we were blessed and fortunate that we were at Mass General Hospital and they were prepared and willing to do the first liver transplant that they'd ever tried to do in the, um, in the history of that great hospital in Boston. But Peter didn't make it. He lived for 48 hours and he, he died in uh, September after having lived for six months. 
So as we go through these great national events, we're also fully aware of our own personal grief and loss and things that happen, at least I am. And yet I do have to say, I remember full well at Peter's funeral and, and my many of my friends came back um, to seminary. We had the funeral in the chapel at the Episcopal Theological School. Um, I remember many, of the, I remember the words we were singing. The king of love my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. And the other great hymn, At the Lamb's High Feast I Sing. And I had just had a sense of, in the midst of grief and loss, that God was with us. Jesus, Jesus knew. God the Father knew. They knew everything I was feeling and thinking. They knew that this was not the end, but the beginning of a new work, a new life, a life eternal. They knew because they had experienced it too. I once talked to a, a group of people, uh, bereaved parents called Compassionate Friends, and I told them how I got great comfort by, by worshiping and, and loving a God who knew my thoughts and feelings and could identify with my pain because he had lost a son also. And one older couple came up to me afterwards and offered some uh, advice. And they said, Chuck, we've always thought of God the Father as a bereaved parent. And I thought about how profound that is. Not just because Jesus died on the cross, not just because he, his, his son was, had to go through a painful, agonizing death, but God grieves because his children don't know him and don't come to him and don't follow him. God is bereft for every human soul that has not returned to him in faith. So dear ones, dear friends in Christ, dear brothers and sisters at St. John's, we have we have a God who cares. We have a republic that we are privileged to be part of. A democracy that is still evolving. One of the things that we said about 1968, one of the questions we asked would the center hold or would the great American experiment go down to the dust as had so many other great civilizations? I think I would have to say that the center is holding in our country today. 
and calling forth in us the kind of healing love as Christians to be the leaven and the bread, to be the, the voice of reason, to be the hope of the future, to be Christ bearers in all that we say and all that we do. I really don't know much more that I could say than that. I know who I belong to. I know who you belong to. And I celebrate that we are the children of God. Would you pray with me?